I don't know if you're like me. Uh, I'm 46 now, and so I've gone through many different life stages. I, I feel like I'm in my last one, so who knows what that's all about, uh, midlife crisis or whatever. But I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a time in your life when you think, I don't think I should be here. Like with this group of people or in this situation. Maybe, maybe you just, you're with some friends and you find yourself at a party. And, you know, nothing wrong with parties. You know, maybe you've gone to them before. But all of a sudden, this particular party, these particular set of friends, this particular thing that's going down, you're like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if I should be doing this. I don't, I don't know if I should be here. I, I don't, all of a sudden, you just start thinking. Maybe you start evaluating your life. And this, this can happen at all different stages. You might be a little kid in elementary school and, and the kids that you were hanging around with, all of a sudden there's just something in you that just goes, you know, I don't like these people anymore. I don't want to be this type of person. Maybe you've had those friends and all of a sudden you go into high school and they start changing in ways that you don't resonate with so much. And then all of a sudden in high school, maybe it's in a classroom, maybe it's on a football field or in some type of group. You just, there's something in the back of your mind that just says, man, I I don't, I don't know. I I think it's time for a change. This might happen at your work. You might be working at the same place all the time, and all of a sudden, just things start changing. Maybe the company begins to take shortcuts, or the company begins to do some things that you're not really proud of, and you thought it was just a one-time thing to make quarterly numbers, and then the next quarter, it happened again, and the next quarter, and all of a sudden, things just don't, don't seem right. Maybe it snuck up on you, maybe not. But what happens is, we notice this in others really easily. Like, like if you're running with a bad crowd, you, know, you probably have a mom or a friend or someone who's like, now, you know, if you follow down that path for very long, you're going to end up here. We notice it in others, but we don't necessarily notice it in ourselves. And so we might, we might hang with a group of people for a while, and every weekend it's the same, and it's no big deal, it's no big deal, and all of a sudden it just, but even though people were telling us, hey, you know, I don't really think you should be trusting that. Maybe it's a relationship. You're in a dating relationship, and, you know, things are going great. It started out great, and the person was really neat, and blah, blah, blah. But all of a sudden, after two months, three months, a year maybe, uh, I don't know. for those of you who are dating, I'm not picking on, you know, you're just, like, you're looking at the person like, you know what, you're right. No, no don't do that. Don't do that. I'm, I'm not trying to break everybody up. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, you get, we get to those things. You're married. Like, yes, yes, I'll, I'm filing papers today. No, we're not talking about that, Okay. You just find yourself in this thing. And, and here's the thing. What someone would tell you, the advice they would give you is, well, just stop. Well, just, just leave them. Just, well, just quit. Right? But it's not, it's not that easy, is it? I mean, here's what happens if you got a group of friends and all of a sudden, you know, it's guys night out every Friday. You guys go, you play poker in someone's garage, no big deal, whatever. You're playing poker, all of a sudden someone brings a bottle of wine, so what? You know, and then the weeks go and then it's a 12-pack and then, hey, whatever, then it's Jack Daniels. And it starts to get, then it just starts to get to this thing where you're like, ah. And someone will say, well, just don't go anymore. Well, here's the thing how it feels. When you don't go anymore, it kind of feels like you're saying, I'm better than you. Like I'm, I'm, and that makes most of us feel uncomfortable, you know, because we feel like we're saying, well, what you're doing is wrong and I want to live a life that's right. So forget that. And you might be called a, you know, whatever. Well, there was a guy in the Bible who went through this very thing. 
He found himself in a spot, I believe, where he just went, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And it was at that spot that Jesus found him. Now, I don't know if his story is like mine or like yours where this had been nagging him for a long time or if this was just his revelation or just at this time Jesus came in and it was like, wow, this is great. And some of you are here right now and and you don't even know why you're here. You're you're just here to go, you know, I just think I need a change or I don't know. Here's what I'm going to hope that we can see this morning. I think Jesus had something to do with why you're here this morning. I think Jesus had something to do with that sense of my life needs to be a little farther down the road. Let me explain kind of who we are. We're in this series um, called Vision, and, and the idea is to kind of share with you the vision of our church. This is why we're here, and it starts out with these five circles that we stole from Saddleback, um, and, and uh, I mean, that I thought up on my own. I'm sorry, um, but I thought they did a really good job of identifying the people that we care about at Living Spring. Okay, the first is the community. The community is just everyone in our neighborhood and the surrounding communities. It, our community would be your coworkers. We might never have seen them. We might not even know who they are. But our community, we feel, are the people that all of us come in contact with. Okay? And then there's the crowd. And those are people who might show up every now and then. Uh, two weeks ago, we uh, had Toys for Tots. We gave gifts to 640 of our neighborhood's uh, poorest kids. That was all a part of the community and the crowd. They ended up in church here. We might not ever see them again. I have a neighbor who's part of the crowd. She comes for Toys for Tots. She does all, like seven baskets of stuff. She donates all the stuff. And other than us taking the trash out, I don't see her. I don't see her here. She's part of the crowd. Then there's the congregation. That's you guys and, you know, uh, people who kind of just, this is their church. And then there's the committed. Those are the people who are here pretty much every week. They, they give financially. They support the church in that way. And then there's the core. And the core are those who are leaders, who run ministries, who are kind of um, been uh, big kind of pillars of the church and all that kind of stuff. Well, we're interested in all, all five of these people, these types of people. And so the first two bands we do by reaching them. And, and we'll look a little bit more as we get into the scriptures of what that, what that looks like. But we, we go out. We don't just receive them. That, there's a reason that is reach and not receive. We go outside. We want to go find people, okay? The second thing we do is we restore. Once someone has maybe started a relationship with Jesus or they, they haven't, they're just, they're just beginning little baby steps and they're like, why should I believe in the Bible? Whatever. This is part of the restorative process. This is what we would call, if you want to get super fancy, sanctification. It's, it's just kind of working on ourselves to go, you know what? Next year, I'm going to be better than I was this year spiritually, okay? That's the restoring process. And then there's the respond. That's the mobilization. That's after we've been restored or we feel like we're being restored, we realize, is this church really just about me going and listening to a sermon and changing my life and becoming more and more spiritual? We would call it spiritually fat, I guess. Or shouldn't we be doing something? That's the respond part. And all three of them are very, very important. And all five bands are very, very important. And so it kind of to put it in a nutshell is we take a first-time visitor. We're interested in the first-time visitor, but we want them to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. So if you're part of our community, I'm going to invite you to the crowd. 
If I see you around, I'm going to invite you to church and go, hey, you should, you should come check out Living Spring. No big deal. Just come check it out. If you're part of the crowd, I'm going to try and get you to be part of the congregation. If you're part of the congregation, we're going to try and get you to be part of the committed. And if you are part of the committed, we're going to try and get you to be part of the core. We're going to keep driving you down into the core because we feel like this process, this journey with Jesus should make us different each year. That each year we should be progressing in some way. It's a, it's a journey. It's not a destination. And so that's, that's who we are. That's what we want to do. And so this morning what I want to do is talk about a guy. Oh, that's our reach uh, that's the first part. We reach our neighborhood and the surrounding communities with the love of the Father. That's what we do. The second one is we restore lives to healthy relationship in the Son. And the last is we respond to a move of the Spirit. That's our church. So this morning what I want to do is talk about uh, reaching. And I want to talk about a guy who was reached and uh, who ended up actually going all the way to the core. He, he was part of the community and he was all the way to the core. And his name was Matthew or some... Parts call him Levi. He got his name changed to protect the innocent. Went to the witness protection program. As Matthew didn't work because we kind of know who he is. But anyway, as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. And let me just start right there because you got to understand who this guy Matthew is. Um, taxes were even more disdained back then uh, to Israel than they are now. I mean, now you might have someone next to you who works for the IRS. You might work for the IRS. You're probably not telling everyone you work for the IRS, which is fine. We'll keep it quiet. But uh, it, it, it was kind of worse than that. They had two different types of tax collectors. The first were the Gabbai, and they kind of collected the taxes you'd, 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 you'd expect to have collected on you. Property tax, they call it land tax, and it was 10% of your grain, 20% of your fruit and wine. They had an income tax, which was 1% of your income. Wouldn't that be nice? And they had a poll tax, which basically meant, oh, you're alive? Give us some money, okay? And, 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 and that was just kind of the, the system, okay? And we have that as well. If you own a house, you pay property tax. If you rent, you pay, pay property tax. It's just in your rent. Um, if you uh, have an income, you pay an income tax over a certain amount, you know, all that. We don't have a poll tax, but, but then there's this other tax collector, okay? And, and, and that one was the mokas. Um, and he, what that one would do is kind of come up with all the other stuff. So to get an idea, um, if you, let's say you're filling up your tank with gas and you're going, man, gas prices are really high, you know, and then you look at the little schedule and you think, 42 cents a gallon is tax. We could lower the gas, you know, so you're upset about that. Oh, the government, should we, we, we should do more and we should, you know, pick it and get pitchforks and go to Washington, whatever, and, you know, and then, and then you, you, you get in your car and you realize, man, I, I paid a registration fee every, every year for this car, and, uh, and you know what, I, what, what do I, I just ran over a pothole, what, what's going on, and, and you pull up to, the, you get on a road and you pull up to a toll booth, toll booth, wow, we already pay enough taxes, and then, you know, your dog barks, and you're like, I have to pay a dog fee, you know, and you're like, like you're really, like, I'm not bitter about this, I don't even know, but 
You might be, okay? And then you look at your wife and you're like, I paid a marriage license tax, you know? And you're just really into taxes, you know? And then all, all this kind of stuff and you're, you're super bitter and, you know, harbor maintenance fee, a merchandise processing fee, and then your grandpa dies and you gotta pay inheritance tax. It's just going on and on and on and on and on, on, right? Then, then you buy something, you gotta pay sales tax. Again, I'm not bitter. I just know all the taxes. Okay. So that's, you're just, you're just angry, you just now feel a certain way about Matthew because that's the kind of tax collector he was. The Gabbai, they kind of stood, they were like the IRS like on, on, on floor 15. You're not going to go up there, right, you know. The other one was the one that just kind of sat in a tax booth in the middle of the road. And when you went on this road and you went to that road, he said, pay up. And they had all sorts of taxes back then. If you had a cart that had four wheels, you paid more taxes than if you had a cart with two wheels. It was just all this, by the way, there is a trucker's tax, transportation tax. Anyway, so, um, and, and, and so if you, if you, you know, and so they, and they, they, had the, they had the authority to make up stuff on the spot. So you had to kind of treat them with respect because you didn't want them all of a sudden to have a, you know, oh, your name's John? Hmm, you're John tax. I just made one up, you know, because you annoy me, an annoyance tax. So, so you, you would just kind of, you, this is the thing that they were hated. As a matter of fact, they weren't allowed in the synagogue. If there was something that needed a witness, they were not allowed to be a witness because they were, they were untrusted. That was not a trustworthy witness. So they were hated. And Jesus comes up to this guy, Matthew, and he goes, follow me. Now, here's what I believe. I believe Matthew was in the same kind of spot we all are in these different times of our lives where all of a sudden we feel Jesus going, hey, follow me. Maybe it's at a party. Maybe it's with your friends. Maybe it's at work. And, and maybe getting out is a process. You go, man, it's going to take me a while to get out of the mafia, Jesus. I just can't get up and get out <laughs> like that. Or maybe it's something that's just, you know, like that. You know, I'm, I'm going to start paying my taxes this year, I guess. You know, even though I'm so upset, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing it. Jesus is whispering, hey, follow me. Now, this is what they call in the Bible a call story. And they're all throughout the Bible. Moses had a call story. It's God calling you. And, and scholars will analyze these call stories for all different types of things, phrases, and there's three different parts to a call story and blah, blah, blah. And, all, and those things are great. I mean, th those are, uh, it's important to look at all that. But the part of the call story that fascinates me most about the Matthew one is this next part of the call story. Because I think he was just like us. I think he'd gotten to a spot where all of a sudden he hears the voice of the Lord going, follow me. And he's at a crossroads. He says this. And Matthew got up. See, I think that's really powerful. <laughs> that Matthew got up and he followed him. Did, did Matthew have all the answers of who Jesus was? No, nobody did. Did Matthew know how he's going to make a living? Nope. Did Matthew know what this was even going to mean? Nope. There was just something in Matthew that went, it's time. It's time. 
And like I said before, sometimes this is a process with us. Sometimes it's like, well, you know what? I got to. But Matthew got up. He took action. Some, some of you are here this morning, listen, because you're responding to that call of God. You don't know what to expect out of church. You don't even know if you like the Bible. You can't answer all the things about Jesus. All of a sudden, you went, you got to a point in your life, maybe it's a new year, whatever, and you just went, you know what, something's got to change. We like to say here that an, your first act of worship on Sunday morning is to get up, get dressed, and get here. That, that's one of the things we just like to say. But it's true. Just to get up. I mean, some of you, well, your second service, so you got to sleep in. I don't even know. A bunch of lazy people. The first service, though, man, they are so spiritual. No, okay, right, stop. Okay, right, oh, brother. Okay, all right, anyway. So, so uh, but, but for you, just getting up was like a big deal. To get ready was a big deal. To get here was a big deal. But you did. I, I think in some small way, we're responding to the Matthew call. Matthew got up and he followed him. Now check out what happens because this is what tends to happen when we make that first step to follow Jesus. See, it's almost like a dare. Like I dare you to begin following them. I, I dare you to make that step in your life. Now, watch what happens. Hold on. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, like wait a minute. How did he go from just stepping out of the tax booth and now he's having dinner with Jesus? I don't know. That's what happens when we follow the call of Christ in our lives. Some of us here are looking at our lives now and we kind of look and scratch our head and go, man, if you had seen me a year ago, and if, you, if I, I've been to church now four times in a row, there is no, yeah, I never, that would not be me. This is what happens when we dare to get up. When we dare to take that first step. All of a sudden, we find Jesus at our house. We find him at our work. We find him all invested in our lives. And we still can't answer the questions that I'll bet Matthew had just by getting up. So, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, check this out, this is so cool. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Ma Matthew didn't, he, he didn't necessarily leave everybody and say, you guys are sinners. I'm finally changing my life around. Matthew was like, listen, I got up and I followed Jesus. You might want to check this guy out. I'm having a banquet at my house. I'm, I'm, I'm eating at my house. Why don't you guys come over and check out this guy, Jesus? This journey that Matthew's on. Hey, let me tell you, the reach part of what we do as a church sometimes gets really messy. Sometimes we're surrounded with tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> tax collectors. I'd rather be around sinners. No, okay. <laughs> Here's the thing I think Matthew identifies with, and I think you and I kind of identify with as well. That's how we were all called, right? We were all called as sinners. We, we all had to take that step. That was just like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. And, and it, for us, for a lot of us, it was just different. But God just keeps calling us to deeper and deeper levels of intimacy with him. And all of a sudden, we find him at our house with all our friends. And we're going, man, this Jesus thing might, might be something. And so there's many tax collectors and sinners, and it gets messy. And when you combine sinners with spiritual people, sometimes, not at this church, but sometimes there's people who can't handle that. And there were in that day, they were called the Pharisees. 
It says this, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, there was a power struggle going on here. The Pharisees were in positions of power and they would lord that over people and they would make up rules. So if you were following the law to the best that you could and, but you weren't still in their class, they would make up a bunch of rules that you would have to follow. You know what, you know what I kind of occurred to me this week? Pharisees were like spiritual tax collectors. There was like the taxes that you expect to pay. That's in the word of God. That's in the law. And that those people expect to pay that. There was a sacrificial system. There were temple things you did. There was all that kind of stuff. But the Pharisees, they were like that second class of tax collectors. I'm going to make it burdensome on you. I'm going to make it worse on you. And so how ironic that the Pharisees were saying tax collectors when they're really spiritual tax collectors. Because they lost sight of the fact that they too are sinners, just like everybody. Now here's what Jesus does. Jesus is annoyed, most likely, as you read the text. It seems like he's annoyed. But he answers this question. It's not just that he ignores it or he makes up a parable that's hard to understand. He actually answers this question. Here's the question. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Here's the question. Why is Living Spring interested in the reach part of our mission statement? Why, why do we reach? Because it makes us feel good about ourselves. No, no, it's not that. Like, why do we reach? Because more bodies means more money. Yeah, no, that's not why we reach. We reach, what I hope, what I feel our leadership does, is for the same reason Jesus does. He answers the question. Here's what he says. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. If you're a doctor, okay, I don't know how many doctors we have in the house. If you're a doctor, and I call you up, and I go, man, doc, my stomach is just killing me. I've been throwing up and I just, oh man. And you go, well, I'll when you figure that out, give me a call back. Like, well, I don't know. That sounds disgusting. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to get whatever you have. Find out what it is and then I'll come see you. As a matter of fact, I only want to see healthy people. Well, this is the whole point of what Jesus is saying. That would be kind of stupid. And this is what he's saying now. Now, here's the thing. For some of us, that call to go forward, that call when Jesus says, follow me, we feel unworthy to answer that call because we kind of would feel better if we had gotten it all figured out and then we could step into church. Then we could go hang out with Jesus because you know, we're, we've, we've worked most of our sin stuff out and the ones we haven't worked out are so hidden, no one will ever find out. Happy face, we're back, we're back in the game. This is not the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is sick people need a doctor. And guess what? We're all sick. This is why we reach. We reach because sick people need a doctor. And then Jesus says this. <laughs> uh, you know, it, this always, I always try to spend some time just thinking about what this looked like as just a bunch of humans. But Jesus gets invited to this party by Matthew who's 
wealthy most likely, and all the tax collectors who are wealthy, I don't know if the sinners were, but the tax collectors certainly were, and there were many of them. And Jesus basically calls them all sick right to their face. Like, right, you know, it's like, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick, you know, and Matthew's like, Jesus, you said that out loud, and you're a guest in my home. But like, Jesus just said it, you know, that just tripped me out. I don't even have a point for that. It was just weird. And then he says this, to the Pharisees, but go and learn what this means. That, that phrase, but go and learn what this means, would be offensive to a Pharisee. Because they know everything, right? They got it all figured out. And he says, why don't you go back to the scriptures that you're so fond of quoting all the time. And why don't you, why don't you go and find out what this means. And he quotes Hosea 6.6. 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, Jesus is comfortable around you. He's comfortable around me. He's comfortable around people who don't have it all figured out yet. And if you're just starting out in this journey of following Jesus, and maybe you're just here because someone just bugged you long enough to go, you got to go to church, you got to go to church, you got to go to church, and you're like, oh, finally. And you're just like, you sit down and you're thinking, well, they're all judgmental. Maybe, but Jesus is not. He's fine with you where you're at for now. And then he's going to keep prodding you along. Hey, what about this? What about this? What about this? He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call righteous, but sinners. So here's my question, I guess, this morning. We'll look at another section of Scripture in just a second about um, why Jesus does what he does and kind of how that fits in with our mission statement. Who, who are you following now? Because in many respects, we're all following someone. And it might not be some person, okay? It might not be, you know, Justin Bieber, okay? It, it might just be a, 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 an idea, a worldview, if you will, a, you know, this thing of, well, you know, everything's okay. Everybody makes it to heaven. Everybody, but, but there's something. You're following something. What is it? Is it like a, a life of comfort? Is it a life of, well, I'll just keep it to myself? Like, what? what? How, are you, how are you doing? Because I, I think that's where we get stuck. We kind of get stuck in our own thing that we're following. And God would sit there and go, hey, follow me. Follow me. Those are what we call defining moments in your life. I had one um, when I was about 28. Let's see, 24, carry the two. Uh, I might have been 30. Uh, I was on a business trip. I, before I was a pastor, I used to be in business. I'd travel around. And um, uh, I, I went to one of our locations up in San Francisco. And our largest client was there. We did this inventory thing. And we were showing them all the stuff we could do. And... Um, and so they started talking about, hey, you know, after we do inventory, let's go out to dinner. And so they mentioned the restaurant. And I'm just like, ah, oh, it was so awesome because, you know, I didn't have that much money. And that restaurant was just like five star and I was hungry. So it could have been anything when you're hungry. But it was a five star restaurant. I was super hungry. And so everyone's all excited. We have executives. We have a, a bunch of people there. And they say, oh, you know, and afterwards, you know, we'll go get drinks. I, I didn't drink, but I was like, oh, fine. I'll be designated driver, whatever. So everything's cool. And they, so they mentioned this club. And I'm like, that's a weird name for a club. Wow. Oh, why would you? 
That doesn't even sound like something gentlemen would go to. Hmm. Anyway, it became very obvious very quickly that, um, that where we were going, my wife would not approve, okay? And, um, and so I was in this dilemma. All of a sudden, I found myself with a bunch of people in a really weird situation, and I didn't feel right, and I felt the voice of my Savior going, follow me. I'm like, is there a way out? Is there an exit? Because I'll follow you if you hire a limo and take all these people away. That would be great for me. But I, I was in that, that spot that we're in a lot of times where it's really uncomfortable. And if I say, listen, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus and I will, you know, and then that sounds, you know, you're just, you just don't know. And then they're, they're our biggest client. And so you're thinking, you know, how did it go? Oh, it went great. I told them they were all sinners. And, and um, I think we still have the account. We'll know next week, you know. It's just that weird situation. But it was a defining moment for me of how my career was going to go. What was I going to do? And so I honestly forget how I got out of it. I probably lied, okay? Shame on me. I probably said, like, ah, oh, my appendix. You know, who knows what, what I did. But, but I got out of it. And, and, and again, I just felt like, whew, I escaped. And it began to just work in me, that defining moment. And I've had seven or eight of them. Some I've made I've made the right choice and some I've made absolutely the wrong choice. And I've seen the difference of what happens when Jesus says, follow me. And I either do or I don't. For you, your follow me moment this morning might be something that starts a long process. Maybe it is your work and maybe you just sit there and you go, you know what, I need to find another job. I, I just can't go through this week after week and make these compromises. Maybe it's a relationship and it's going to take a, a, a month or so to get on it. For some of us, this follow me moment is just getting up. Maybe it's taking a four iron to your computer or something. I don't know. Maybe it's just quitting. You walk in tomorrow and just, you know what, I'm done. Maybe it's making a phone call. Hey, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what your moment is. I don't even know if you have one right now. I just know I've had several. And this is why we reach. It's not to convince anyone. It's just to go, hey, if you're in that spot, follow Jesus. Now, as the worship band returns, I told you we'd look at this one little section of scripture that really gives you the heart of, of God in, in, in Christ. And, and it, it, it's just a narrative of what Jesus would do in his ministry. And it covers our reach, our restore, and our respond. It says this, oops, yeah, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. Jesus went, like I said, the reason our first thing is reach is because we're not here receiving people, we're out. We're out in our jobs, we're out in our neighborhoods, we're out doing whether it's our be the church thing where we fix up homes, or it's our toys for tots, or it's our backpacks, or it's, we want to be out. It's the model Jesus had. He went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. This is the restore part. That as we reach and people come in, Jesus begins to change their lives. 
We begin to see the things, the sin and the different places people are stuck in all different areas. We see, the, we see those things melt away as people begin to just come and be a part of this family, this, this thing we're doing. And then there's the other part. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's the heart of Jesus. To go out with a heart of compassion, with the love of the Father, not to say, oh, it's okay what you're doing, but just to work in tandem, to go, you know it's not working for you. Come follow me. 